0: HollywoodTakeover.com slash Jesse. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you though? For just 20 bucks a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my sponsor and my cell phone company. There are some stories you absolutely have to know. Have to. There are some stories that should be so firmly ingrained in your consciousness that they're just part of your culture. And oftentimes these stories will vary culture to culture. Lewis and Clark. The core of discovery, the initial exploration of the Louisiana Purchase is absolutely one of those stories if you're an American citizen. It is such a brave, cool, important part of your history. It's it's on par with the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It is up there. It is a story you have to know. As you know, I geek out on this stuff. Reading documentaries, podcasts, you name it, I love it. And occasionally, as you well know, I will force my children to watch brief things with me if I find a good documentary on something. But I usually turn them loose after 10 or 15 minutes when they're dying as I'm going over World War I battlefields in France and they're just miserable. <laughs> However, there are some I will make them sit there silently and watch the entire thing. If I get a good Lewis and Clark documentary, and there are a few of them out there, they're watching. Period. I don't care how miserable you are. It is important not just to honor the men on that journey, but to know that part of your history. You and I have to know the great parts of our history. And I will tell you, I think it's important for the future of this country. I'm not telling you to know it just because it's cool. You can't know where your nation should go unless you know where your nation's been. Unless you realize what it took to build what you and I luxuriate in and let's be honest we do luxuriate here don't ever let that be lost on you and I think I think we lose sight of how difficult it was for America to become America as you know it today Uh, the, the Louisiana purchase was Enormous. And you forget, even post-revolutionary war, okay, we're a country now, we're independent, we're who we are. We owned like a third of the continental United States of America. A third. And that's honestly, that's probably being generous now that I think about it. It's probably a fourth or a fifth. Here was the situation on the ground. The Louisiana Purchase. Well, For one, let's go over what was permanently Spanish territory. We're going to start at the Lewis and Clark Expedition and work our way back just a little bit, just to give you a map. All right, picture in your head, map of the United States of America. For once, you don't need to Google image search this. I'm assuming you have a pretty good idea of what it is. You know the eastern seaboard. Okay, that's ours. Spain owned, and this is at the time of the expedition of Lewis and Clark, Spain owned Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Now, that's rough. Those state lines weren't drawn yet, but for our purposes, that's what you need to know. That was Spanish territory. The country of Spain owned it. Oregon and Washington and up into Canada was considered Oregon Territory, and that was more complicated and disputed. We're not going to deal with that for the time being. Everything else in the middle, and I mean everything else, the, the entire middle portion of the United States of America, Rocky Mountains, North Dakota, South Dakota, all that stuff, all the way down to you know Louisiana, that was all. Held by France. France owned it. It was French. There's a reason there's such a massive French influence in places like New Orleans. Not only did France own all of that territory, they owned New Orleans, and it was a humongous trading post. Now, this is going to play a part in our story. What were the French doing there? They were doing a couple different things. The big thing they were doing was fur. The fur trade was lucrative beyond anything you can possibly comprehend. Pelt, like beaver, that was the big one, were everything. We're talking guys made their fortunes doing this. And you know how these things start. It starts with a trapper here, a trapper there. Soon there's some enterprising soul decides he can start a business I need to employ all these trappers and start sending beaver pelts by the ton back to Europe so people can make coats and hats and so on and so forth out of these things. And it was, you need to think of it like discovering gold or oil. It was that lucrative. And they used this Louisiana territory to gather furs. The French famously, very famously had mostly an outstanding relationship with Indian tribes in this territory. Obviously, there were, all, there were always some disputes here and there, but the French were actually really great at this, working hand-in-hand with the Indian tribes. Indians will help the French trap. The French would give the Indians things the Indians liked. You know, the French were obviously much more technologically advanced than the Indians, and you can listen to all that crap they try to teach you in school. They really just preferred a, a buffalo hide and a piece of stone. Oh, shut up. They wanted metal knives and hatchets and kettles and, and bl- wool blankets and important parts of society, too, like anybody else. They're not dumb. Uh, yeah, that metal knife's better than my wooden one. Of course. And it was a mutually beneficial relationship there. Very beneficial. Well, eventually, we've done a show on this before. Don't worry, we'll do others if you're worried about it. A war crops up in the Americas called the French and Indian War, or it's known as the Seven Years' War. You hear either one of those things, they're talking about the same war. Now, it was not French. It was not France fighting the Indians. It was the French joining together with the Indians, joining together with Spain, fighting against Great Britain. Fighting against them. What for? They were fighting for the rights for these furs and other lands in North America. And it was a vicious, vicious war for all that. France lost acquitted themselves very well, but lost. So France essentially loses the Louisiana territory, but they don't lose it to Britain. Spain kind of worked a good deal where they were essentially given the Louisiana territory. All right, well, we got to take it away from the French. They really led this thing. France, all right, it's, it's yours. Okay, just take it back. Well, now we have to cross the pond to events going on in Europe in the early 1800s. What event do you think, or person in particular, do you think would be dominating the headlines in Europe about this time? Hang on. is the Jesse Kelly show. Home title lock.com. It can save you. It can save you. This is what's going to happen. And I know this is going to happen because this kind of stuff has happened to me time and again. I talk to you about something that can protect you. Something that's really bad out there right now And cyber crimes up 75%. So it's really bad. And you delay, look, I do the same thing. You delay, oh, it's fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Oh, it happens to someone else. And you delay and you delay and find it's going to happen to somebody. And I'm going to get that email. Jesse, uh, why didn't I listen to you? I'm so mad at myself and I'm not going to know what to say. Get home title lock before they steal your home title and take a loan out against it. Not after. Go to hometitlelock.com right now. Use the promo code JESSE. It even gets you 30 days free. HometitleLock.com. That's HometitleLock.com. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. What's going on in Europe? Who's the headliner in Europe? Around 1800. Come on now. You know. A man named Napoleon. Even Chris got that one right. And he is, at this point in time, Emperor Napoleon. And part of the reason he's called Emperor Napoleon is he's busy kicking the crap out of everybody. And one of the people he's, well, one of the nations he's kicking the crap out of is Spain. Now, Napoleon, he has a difference of opinion with Spain on who should get that Louisiana territory. You see, Napoleon is all about that glory of the French Empire life. He says, hey, Spain, remember that territory that we had and then now you have? Guess who has it again now? Yeah, that's ours. This is why there's a heavy French and Spanish influence in Louisiana and especially New Orleans because they both owned it at one point in time. It was theirs. But as you also know, as I've told you several times when it comes to finance and other things, Trees do not grow to the sky, and Napoleon is not walking on water forever. At some point in time, he finds himself in a bit of a pickle and doesn't really doesn't really have a use for a huge chunk of land in the continental United States at this moment. What he has a use for is money. Wars cost money, tons of it bringing us back to the United States of America, where we have a man as president by the name, maybe you've heard of him, of Thomas Jefferson. That ring a bell, Chris? The third president of the United States of America, and it is important that you understand this. He considered himself to be an extremely enlightened individual. Enlightenment, enlightened people, they were the people of this era that really, really, really believed in diversifying yourself. You don't just, you shouldn't just be a warrior. You should be a warrior and a poet and a philosopher and a scientist. And, 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 and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a change in mindset at this time. It was. It really was. And as such, he viewed the United States of America as it currently existed. You know, it's very much an Atlantic Ocean nation. He thought that that was an extremely short-term thing. He didn't know what existed out west. Really, very few people did beyond the Indian tribes who lived there. But he did think we should own all of it all, to the way, all the way to the Pacific. They knew the Pacific Ocean was out west. They did know that. It's not as if they didn't know that. But I will tell you, Thomas Jefferson had books and books and books about the west. He loved to read about the west. He was fascinated with the west and his books. Thomas Jefferson thought there were still woolly mammoths out west. That's how little they knew. I heard somebody say, I can't take credit for this, but it's 100% true when you read it. And this is wild for us to think about, absolutely wild. We know more, we knew more about the moon before we landed on it than we knew about the Louisiana Purchase in the western part of the United States of America before we explored it. Isn't that crazy to think about? That is unknown. And what's what's wild is what we did know, the things we did know, lots of those things were scary. And lots of those things were real. There were rumors, of course, always, because there were of French fur trappers and such, and we'll go into that in a second still out there. There were rumors of monsters out there, which turned out to be grizzly bears. But to them, they would have been monsters. Remember a grizzly bear? A grizzly bear today with modern firearms is very difficult to kill. You understand how powerful a 357 Magnum pistol is? It's gigantic. A huge round. And you do understand? It's not a big enough round to stop a grizzly bear. Look at a 357 Magnum shell, it's jaw dropping. You need a 44 Magnum at least. These animals are so big and strong and dense and bone and muscle, it's just very hard to stop them. Now, stop one with a single shot muzzle loader as it's charging at you at 35 miles an hour. To these people, they were monsters. They'd never seen anything like them. And there were rumors and confirm reports of dangerous, hostile Indian tribes, which turned out to be 100% true. Some of them. We'll go into that, too. Of course, it turned out to be my favorite tribes, Chris. But what are you going to do? What are you going to (laughs) do? It is what it is. So, Napoleon needs money. Thomas Jefferson has an idea as he's expanding the United States of America. He's looking down at New Orleans, this port of New Orleans, this very important busy port right there on the Gulf of Mexico. Think of all the things that gives you access to. And he wants it. And the French have it. So he sends a guy named Livingston across the ocean to negotiate with Napoleon not to buy the Louisiana Purchase. He sends the man across the ocean to buy the port of New Orleans. He just wanted the town. And the man is authorized to spend $10 million on just the port of New Orleans, which is an absurd amount of money back then. That was probably equal to the entire federal budget back then. That was huge. Well, this guy gets there. And he finds, not only will Napoleon sell us the port of New Orleans, Napoleon says, look, I don't have anything to do with this stuff. I'm busy over here. Look, for 15000000 million, I'll give you the port of New Orleans and the whole daggone territory. America says, sold. We will take it. Something like two cents an acre, I believe, it came out to. The greatest land deal by a mile in the history of mankind was made by the United States of America. Doesn't that make you feel better about us in capitalism? I mean, think about how much history we've covered. The greatest land purchase ever, right here at home. We did it better, baby. Capitalism. It's awesome. With one stroke of a pen, Thomas Jefferson more than doubled the land mass size of the United States of America. More than doubled. Well, this is awesome, right? This is great news. There were complications, though, and it's important you understand this. Spain, they were a little salty about losing the Louisiana Purchase the way they lost it. And there was a lot of Spanish resistance to it. France also. Now, France obviously was under Napoleon. Napoleon sold it. But remember, the French weren't twiddling their thumbs when it came to the Louisiana Purchase. There were French explorers and trappers all over the Louisiana Purchase. They had set up towns, really, Along the river, along the Missouri River, as you would. That's what happens when people move to an area. Eventually you join up, you live together for safety and prosperity. That's the human condition. So now you've got to deal with that, too, if you're Jefferson. Possible hostile French people who don't necessarily think the United States of America owns this. So you got to figure out what you're going to do. Hang on. There's a funny thing about land ownership, exploration, and such, especially back in these times. It's not as if they didn't have legal documents and land deeds. They did. They did. But in these relatively unexplored areas, really uninhabited areas by Europeans, like I said, you had the Indian tribes, but even they couldn't, fill up these vast, vast swaths of territory. That old saying of possession is nine tenths of the law was really, really important. It was. If you're Thomas Jefferson, yeah, it is great news that you just doubled the United States of America in size. That's awesome. But you have got two really important things to do now. You had better figure out what you have because they didn't know. And you had better get some people on it because the French were already there. And remember, the British were eyeing up everything they could get still at this time. We're talking 1800-ish. And to make it even more complicated, remember what I said the map looked like at the beginning of this expedition? Remember how often we've talked about how absurdly big Spain was? Spain! Still owns Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, Spain. Look at the map. Spain owns a third of the country right now. And Spain owns Central America. Spain owns all of South America except for Brazil and I think a couple other little places where Portugal had. You've got to worry about the Spanish who still have their eyes on it. And remember, we still have a war coming with the Spanish over Texas and Mexico and all that. So you're Jefferson. You've got to figure out what you've got. Well, Jefferson is just the man for the job because Jefferson is a scientist, an observationist, an explorer. I don't know what you want to call him, but he's a man who's dying to know what's out there. And it just so happens he knows a man just like him. Much younger, Jefferson was this man's mentor, father figure you would call it, but he knows the Lewis family. The Lewis family was another kind of, they were an aristocrat family, neighbors of Thomas Jefferson. The families knew each other well, and Jefferson knew one of the Lewis boys named Meriwether very well. Now, it is important we go over this about the Lewis family. The Lewis family was aristocratic, but this was an era, in my opinion, this is a better era. This is a better way to be in the Americas, especially the aristocratic families were not the ones who sat on their rich butts looking down at the troops and the working man. If you were an aristocratic family, it was expected you would not only serve your country, you would be on the front lines. We're aristocrats. It's our job to look out for people who aren't aristocrats. That's actually how it's supposed to be, Mitt Romney. You don't sit back and send others to fight. If there's an an important fight to be had, you pick up a weapon and get on your fancy horse and sally forth, my friend. That's how it's supposed to be done. That's how societies are supposed to run. It's not just you and I who have to go fight and die. It's the rich people, too. It's the rich people leading It's how it's supposed to be. So Lewis is a military man. He's a military man. The Lewis family and Lewis himself, Jefferson wrote about this extensively. They suffered from depression. Now, I do not personally suffer from depression, probably because I'm too narcissistic for it, but there is a real thing out there with depression. It's been misunderstood forever, but it does affect whole families. It can be, I mean, whatever that chemical imbalance is, it can be hereditary and Meriwether Lewis suffered from it greatly and would find himself. In a real alcoholism slash depression funk often. He had a real drinking problem as well. A lot of people say it's because he was so absurdly intelligent. Highly intelligent people in general suffer from substance abuse problems more than lower intelli- lower people of lower intelligence. Obviously, that's not universal. That's a generalization, but the numbers are what they are. You find life boring. You find life unfulfilling. You find yourself more intelligent than the people around you. That's very boring. And you turn to things that make it more interesting and make you feel better. It's a sad state of affairs. Nevertheless, it's real. So Lewis was an accomplished military man. A real writer. I mean, the guy, is look, he writes like a professional writer. A, an absurd scientists when it comes to observing nature and things out there, detailed journals. One of these guys, I I could never be someone like this, absurd levels of detail. You send Lewis out for a a five-mile hike in the woods, he comes back with 50 pages of notes about this tree and this weed and how this shape was and the sound this squirrel made, and he was one of those guys, very much like Jefferson. Jefferson loved that about him. Jefferson grows, up, uh, or Lewis grows up, Meriwether Lewis l- grows up under Jefferson's eye, under Jefferson's wing. Jefferson thought so highly of Meriwether Lewis that he brought him in when he became president as his personal secretary. That's a great honor and a very big deal and tells you how highly uh, Thomas Jefferson thought of this man. And he, He's an explorer. He's a man... Who had spent time in places like Michigan. Remember, Michigan at this time is the freaking frontier out west. And we need to pause for a minute on this. You remember how America was an eastern Atlantic Ocean country now? You want to know how Atlantic it was? Two thirds of the american population lived within 50 miles of the atlantic ocean it wasn't just the colonies everyone was on the water and things west of that ohio michigan these places were wild dangerous frontier places where you're putting up military forts to keep settlers safe and you're trying as a young nation, and remember, possession is nine-tenth of the law. You're trying to push your people out there, incentivize people to go out there. Hey, just uh, 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 move to Ohio. We'll give you five acres. Just please come here. You have to occupy that territory. And Lewis, in his time in the Army and otherwise, had spent time exploring this place, had spent lots of time with Indian tribes. One thing that's totally, it's totally misinterpreted in history as are in these lame government school history classes is that you know, Lewis and Clark had never seen an Indian before till they, till they, till they went up the river. They'd spent all kinds of time with Indian tribes. Part of the American experience up to this point in time was dealing with Indians, oftentimes, obviously not always, oftentimes in a friendly Mutually beneficial manner. Obviously, there were plenty of cases where there was a a more warlike, aggressive tribe, or something went wrong with this tribe or wrong with that tribe. But there, these guys were used to dealing with Indians. Lewis is the aristocrat, the fancy, educated aristocrat explorer, and at one point he serves under a man named Clark. Clark is the sibling of Revolutionary War legends. Clark is not formally educated like Lewis. However, he's a very intelligent guy and a a supposedly tall, strong, very capable military man. Hang on. Missed out? Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com. EBSleep. It will give you outstanding, natural sleep every single night. Because it's not sleeping pills. It's not a new pillow. It's not a mouthpiece. It's something that actually goes after the reason you can't sleep. I know what it is. I know because I've been there. You can't turn your mind off. I know what it's like to lay there and stare at the ceiling and just scream at your mind, shut up, I'm tired. But it won't. Ebb Sleep, you put it on, it applies precise, continuous cooling to your forehead, putting you asleep faster and keeping you asleep because it calms those thoughts down. Go to tryeb.com slash jessie. That's tryebb.com slash Jesse. Don't forget to use the promo code Jesse at checkout. That gets you 25 bucks off. Serves under Clark and it appears that was more than just a commander and underling relationship. These guys, for whatever reason, maybe because they were similar in a lot of ways, maybe because they were opposite in a lot of ways. These guys became very, very, very close friends, very close friends. Clark, again, not the formal education, but complimented, Lewis in a lot of ways. Clark was probably more steady emotionally than Lewis was. Like I said, you know, Lewis was prone to depression and such. Clark was a crappy writer. Clark's writings are littered with misspellings and such. You know, the formal education wasn't there. However, Clark was an outstanding artist. And when you look at some of the things he drew... He could draw outstanding pictures of plants and animals. Lewis sucked at that, but Lewis was a great writer. They just, they complimented each other in a lot of ways and became very, very fast friends. Clark was a veteran, combat veteran, accomplished man, and thought very highly of So, you're Thomas Jefferson. It's time to pick the man to lead this journey. He picks Meriwether Lewis. Meriwether Lewis, in turn, says, I need a partner on this journey. This part of the journey I find to be really, really fascinating. Lewis not only asks Clark, and you can see the letter to this day, to join him, and it's clear the affection he has for the man. Clark, of course, writes back, Yes, how honored I am to do so. Of course I'll join you on this journey. But Lewis Shares command. Now remember, this is not a private endeavor. This is a military endeavor. There are some private people on here. And don't get me wrong, it's a volunteer basis. It's not like they pointed to Private Johnson and said, hey, guess where you're going. But this is a military unit. This is a military thing. You don't ever share command. Ever. Because it comes with all kinds of problems. But... You share command on purpose with somebody, you have a unique working relationship with this individual. Kind of a funny side note to that story. The Army, because it's the government, of course, tried to screw Clark over, never officially made him co-commander, said he was only a lieutenant, but Lewis didn't acknowledge that and just said, no, 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 he's he's co-commander. And they began the process of recruitment. Clark, we should also point out, had a slave with him on this journey. A man by the name of York. Apparently he was a big, strong dude. And I couldn't find much on their relationship. But what I could find was it did not, it seemed to be a very close relationship. He was more of a companion, it looks like, than a slave. And I guess like having never owned a slave myself, I guess that would exist a lot a lot of the time just the regular humanity of that they appear to be friends honestly that's what it looks like but again I can't speak to it I don't know I wasn't there. But you need to find some dudes for this. They are given a budget by Jefferson. They are essentially given an open check by Jefferson. And you have to figure out, one, how you're going to get west. And the actual purpose of the journey was, yes, they wanted to explore. Jefferson wanted to know what was out there. He wanted to know about the Indian tribes. He wanted to know the friendly ones, the angry ones. He wanted to know what the territory looked like, the animals. He wanted to know all of it. But what the overall purpose of the mission was, was Jefferson wanted a connected waterway from the east to the west. He wanted one continuous connection from the Pacific Ocean back to the rest of America, which would have been an absurd boondoggle when it comes to trade. Think what that means for trade. Think of the port you could put at the coast of the Pacific with a bunch of riverboats set up to shuttle things back and forth. It would have been absurd. Now, eventually, we got the railroads, and they took care of that for us. But water, as we've talked about a lot, water was, that's how you did trade back then. That's how you went to and fro. But Lewis and Clark went looking for volunteers. They were only looking for outdoorsy types, to put it mildly. They wanted troops, sergeants and privates. They wanted outdoor types. They wanted brave men. They wanted men of honor. They wanted men who could handle different things. And when I say different things, you have to picture this. There's about 25 guys who are recruited, and they're supposed to go clear to the Pacific Ocean and back. There were more initially. I'll explain that in a little bit. But 25 guys. There's no 7-Eleven. There's no small town with a hospital along the way. There's nothing. The comparison to the moon is honestly one I'll probably keep coming back to as we go through this story. You're going to the moon. Hang on. goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's where you need to go. Not tomorrow, not later on this evening, now. You need to go there because you need to begin the process now of getting a gold IRA. Not because you love gold, although you may, gold's awesome. Because of value, because of protection. You wouldn't take every dime you had and throw it in an open suitcase and chuck it on your front lawn overnight. Why? Because you don't risk all your wealth like that. Well, what do you think you're doing if all your money is in stocks and bonds? That's what you're doing. You're hanging it all out there, and you see what's happening in these markets. And we have an election coming up, which always throws things off. Go to goldalliance.com slash That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That could even get you up to five grand in free gold and silver coins. What I mean when I say you're going to the moon is there's nothing there and you have to diversify who you're bringing along. Um, You need somebody who can handle medicine, such as medicine was back in the day. You need a blacksmith. You need a hunter. You need a fisherman. You see what I mean? You need to plan for everything. And they did. They're cobbling together this group of men who were extremely diverse in their skill sets. Important. One of the things that fascinates me most about this trip, and it's probably something that will bore some people to tears, I find it fascinating the stuff they had to pack for it. I watched my wife agonize over packing for a weekend with the boys. What do you pack for two years when you know there's no such thing as resupply? Hang on. Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I've already gotten a couple questions about the medicine and why I was dogging on the medicine. Do you want to know the main medicine they used? And I mean the main medicine, like they stocked up on it. They were called Rush's Thunderclappers or Rush's Thunderbolts or Rush's Pills. They were called a lot of things. Um. It was just a laxative. A laxative that contained large amounts of mercury, which is poisonous. And they would take these things whenever anything happened, and just basically spend the day crapping themselves. The answer to your question, Chris: Is no? It, it, that, it is actually not effective. It turns out you can't poop out everything you get sick with. Um, it's funny; they have tracked parts of the Lewis and Clark expedition from the mercury left in the soil. From things the men left behind. So like I said, it was a rough, it was, it was, it was rough. <laughs> it was very, very rough. And they stock up on all kinds of things. They stock up on the best weapons, they stock up on a little mini cannon. For the boat that Thomas Jefferson and Meriwether Lewis designed, you can still go look at drawings of it to this day. I believe they called it a keel boat, if memory serves me. They had a couple big canoes that went with them as well. And they stock- this keel boat could hold 12 tons of supplies. They had these huge shotguns with them, four of them called blunderbusses. The cannon itself didn't really shoot cannon balls. It would shoot 16 musket balls, which is awesome. That would do some damage. Again, how do you pack for everything? It's an expedition of exploration. But there's almost no question there's going to be some form of combat somewhere along the way, right? You have to hunt. You have to fish. You have to defend yourself against thieves, possibly defend yourself against Indians, and you have to trade with the Indians. Jefferson told them, you will inform the Indians that they are now under the jurisdiction of the United States of America. However, you will be friendly with all of them, make peace with all of them, let them know they're going to be left alone. And I I can't stress this enough, for the most part, That's how the journey went. It was Lewis and Clark working hand-in-hand with the Indian tribes and getting along very, very well with them. In fact, Indians are responsible for the survival of Lewis and Clark, which we will get to. Fascinating journey. But Lewis and Clark set out. Remember, the Spanish are mad about this. The French are mad about this. But here's the thing as we wrap up for today. Obviously, I accidentally went a little bit too long and we're going to have to continue this tomorrow. The French and the Spanish didn't stop it either. And how can you claim to be a great empire if you can't stop things like this from happening within your borders? Are you great? Or are you great in name only? How powerful are you? Let's go back to the greatest empire of all time by a mile, the Romans. Do you think if the Carthaginians Decided that a piece of Roman territory was theirs. And they were just going to go put together a big expedition and just go explore their new territory that they've claimed. How far do you think they'd get before they were hanging on Roman crosses? Either you're an empire or you're not. Part of being a powerful nation, a powerful empire, is making sure... You can't be abused within your own borders, not just from the outside. There's always trouble brewing from the outside. But part of being powerful means not being abused within your own borders. And more than anything, doesn't this whole thing show Spanish weakness at the time? French weakness at the time? They knew about this expedition. They wanted it stopped. Couldn't do anything about it. I look at what happened last night after the Breonna Taylor announcement that there wouldn't be any charges for the police officers. And I look at the riots, two police officers shot in Louisville, riots in L.A., just standard stuff. I saw the same video you saw of a U-Haul truck truck pulling up to Louisville ahead of the grand jury announcement, a U-Haul truck pulling pre-prepared signs out the back that said abolish police and things like that. We now have, not days, months of organized, paid for, Civil unrest within our borders that has resulted in billions of dollars in damage and death. Let me ask you, what does that say about us? It's not as if you have to be a king Internet sleuth to figure out so much of this is organized and paid for. If we can't stop this stuff from happening within our own borders, what does it say about us? By any measure, this is left-wing domestic terrorism. That's what you call burning, looting, killing, assaulting, intentional civil unrest. This is domestic terrorism. What does it say about us as a nation that we haven't stopped it? It's uncomfortable to ask, isn't it? Can you think of a single powerful empire in the history of mankind that would allow this? The only empires I can think of that would have something like this going on were empires that were about to crumble. This is Bolshevik stuff in Tsarist Russia. That's what this is. Why haven't we stopped it? Not only have we not stopped it, we don't really seem that interested in stopping it. We have the director of the federal law enforcement arm, Christopher Wray, director of the FBI, just in the past couple days giving testimony before Congress saying right-wing terrorism is the greatest domestic terrorist threat? What? Don't tell me about the greatness of your empire when you can't stop the animals from committing domestic terrorist acts. If you're really a powerful country, You find the people responsible for organizing and financing this immediately. You slap handcuffs on them and you throw them in a dark hole for the rest of their lives. And might as well say something that's going to get me in trouble. If the person you find who's responsible for organizing and financing domestic unrest in your shores happens to not be an American citizen, you send them somewhere else for eternity. Until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me. On top of what it's done for my allergies, go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. com promo code JESSE. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first ten minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com/slash Jesse. dot org.